0: to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullick.
1: Welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fullick, and as always, we like to talk about things related to disaster recovery, business continuity, crisis management, COVID, resilience, and anything that's applicable to those areas. Uh, anything that helps you, your organization, or your community plan for and respond to and overcome adverse situations. As longtime, time of, well, even viewers now, because YouTube's been around for a while. And listeners on Voice America, you will recognize my next guest. We've met for a year continuously now, you know, uh, to talk about COVID and the latest happenings. Regina Phelps, welcome back.
2: Alex, it's our anniversary, our year anniversary
1: of COVID. (laughs) It is, you know, I wish wish, uh, it wasn't such a, well, you know, (laughs) <laughs> Here we are.
2: What, what can you say? Here we are.
1: Yeah, I, I, I can't say Happy New Year because it is the first time I see you. That's so right. Happy New Year.
2: That's right. Yeah. It's our first time seeing each other.
1: So That's right. That. You know, uh, and now the bad news. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I'll just dive right in and talk about the bad news, right?
1: <laughs> well, it, it, you you said it, you know, a moment ago, it's been a year since uh, the first case was uh Uh, identified in, I think you identified where too? Uh, Yeah, in Washington. Yes. A year, a few days ago. So uh, how have we been since?
2: (laughs) You know, I, I, I sometimes I feel like not only is this Groundhog Day, uh, I, I am uh, sad to say that I'm not going to be able to deliver you a great deal of good news right now. Uh, because of what's going on. And so I think I'm going to frame our conversation to be essentially what I call V2, variants and vaccines. And so that's what we'll be talking about today.
1: Well, and I got to give you my update. Yes, please. For for Canada, we'll we'll start off on on ours because I, I, well, I kind of know where yours might be going. So (laughs) I'll I'll give you an idea of what's happening here up in Canada. Um, our cases, I got this sheet in front of me with all, every, all this on it. So uh, our cases are up to uh, 748,000, roughly uh, around there now. Uh, our deaths are uh, roughly 19,000. Um, so unfortunately, that's been uh, going up. They're both heading in the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of other interesting points, though, mm-hmm. that um, in the UK variant, and I know we're going to talk about that later, the UK variant was discovered in a long ter- sorry, long-term care home mm-hmm. in the city of Barrie, which is uh, an hour north of Toronto. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the workers there apparently came in contact with somebody who was traveling. And now there are uh, a couple of dozen people infected, If I if I'm remembering correctly. If there's a the couple
2: long-term. of dozen, there's a lot more.
1: Yeah. You know in this you know a long-term care home and now all of a sudden this uh, this person uh, you know has, has spread it in their in their this home uh, the government uh, the federal government is now hinting at uh, quarantining people for two two weeks at hotels for anyone mm-hmm. traveling um which really you know our, our border is supposedly closed you know That's but, what I thought. Uh, but apparently you can uh, fly So (laughs) they're thinking. I guess um, that's not a
2: border. Uh,
1: Yeah. It's a cloud.
2: It's a cloud. cloud.
1: Yeah. And so they're thinking of now anyone that is traveling that comes into Canada, you know, you're quarantining in a hotel for 14 minutes. uh, Sorry, 14 days. Um, You know, uh, they're only hinting at that, you know, that is Mm. not exactly what's going to happen. Um, what else is uh, interesting? Oh, in uh, Ontario now, the uh, provincial government, when it comes to schools, every two weeks, they're taking a check to see when kids are going to go back. Uh, right now, it looks as though for, um, I think I've mentioned before, the province of Ontario is massive. You mm-hmm. know, California, right. California easily fits in our, our province here, uh, if, I, if I'm remembering my geography right. And um, it's kind of uh, right now split in two um, where about three hours north of Toronto would be the cutoff and everything north and west, which is massive in itself, like California, big Mm -hmm. uh, on its own. Um, uh, Their schools go back potentially in a week, but they're reviewing that to see if that's even possible. In everything south of that border, Toronto, Windsor, uh, Sudbury, Barrie, which I mentioned, our capital, Ottawa, Um, right now schools are not opening uh, roughly until mid-February. But in another week or so, they will take a look again to see where the numbers are and maybe keep moving it. So already, you know, what was supposed to have been just one week in January is going to be about five or six weeks already that kids aren't going back Staying on the schools, uh, another wonderful piece of news. The uh, just a couple of blocks away from where I live is the University of Guelph, and most of the uh, students are learning online. But apparently, uh, roughly fifty of them thought they would get together and have a fun little old time. <laughs> and now there college are...
2: students doing that? That's shocking. That's yeah. shocking.
1: And now there's thirty-two cases of uh, coronavirus uh, out of this group, of which, you know, who knows who they're spreading that to, right. you know, um, if if these students are living with other roommates, you know, in other, other places, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and spreading all that on. So um, that was not too good. And was there anything else? Oh, yes. And if I go in the other direction, <laughs> in the city of, uh, I believe it's Waterloo, Cambridge, Kitchener, uh, there's uh, a couple of churches there, they're now upset because people should be able to worship. And, you know, I understand, you know, how how um, people feel about that. However, they are now breaking the uh, rules about uh, gatherings. And uh, they're bringing together all these people uh, for worship, saying that, you know, we should be able to do that. Uh, meanwhile, a lot of these people that are going are the elderly and the ones that are getting sick. Right. So, um, it can't that's go well. not, yeah. So that's not going well, you know, that, uh, you know, uh, you know, priests and, you know, whatever title you want to give them, they're supposed to be community leaders. And to me, you know, that was disheartening to hear that, you know, mm-hmm. that, hey, let's ignore the rules, you know, for your safety and life, you know, come and uh, gather and uh, worship and then have people getting sick. So, you know, it's not, um, it's not going well right now, you know.
2: We've had that same exact thing in different states here in the United States as well. And it is is disappointing when you think about somebody being a community leader um, and not following those rules. And then often there have been super spreader events that have occurred in those environments as churches, yeah. places of worship, because people are singing and, you know, in very close contact with each other and often for a protracted period of time.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Well,
2: I'm sorry to hear that because you guys have done so much. I mean, the U.S. continues to be a mess, but you guys have done so much better than we have. And I saw that the numbers were going up there. So I was going to query you about that. So thanks for that update. I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, I wish I could be happy with that update. But uh,
2: I know. Well, you're not us. I mean, that's the good news is, is that we are we are the United States remains in you know, the number one spot for both cases and deaths. So we are just ramping along. We just hit 25 million cases. We hit 400,000 deaths five days ago. It's already up to 420,000 deaths. So you have 19,000 deaths. We went through five, 20,000 deaths in five days here in the United States, to give you a sense of how bad that is, right? I mean, that's pretty chilling. And it's um, almost
1: a year.
2: Right, yeah. right. And if you look at our numbers, and so I was just, I, this morning, I've been on calls with clients uh, since quite early this morning, having the same conversation I'm going to have with you about our overall condition and where we're going. And I think it's one that um, when you look at the numbers here in the States, what you'll see is that we were at very, very high plateaus. I mean, we got up to having 400,000 cases a day. Just think about that compared to yours. And we were having 4,000 deaths a day. Um, And then we are now falling off of that really high peak But um, this may give people a false sense of security because we're going to start going up again. and And part of my intent of our time together today is to really talk about that. And that really has to do with the variants. So I want to talk about that first because that really then ties into vaccinations and other key things. So let me first of all explain about a variant. So a variant by its very nature... Is obviously a mutation. So viruses by their very nature mutate all the time. They're very sloppy in reproduction. And so they're constantly having pieces and parts that aren't right. The vast, vast, vast majority of those mutations go nowhere. So it's a mutation. It simply dies in the body of the person where that mutant virus has occurred. Uh, there are now, though, however, something that are called variants. And so, what's the difference between a mutation and a variant? A variant is a, va- is a virus that has become successful at adapting and spreading. So, that's when we begin to call it a variant and simply instead of just a mutation. Now, variants, um, the ones that we're seeing right now are a little unusual because they have. Um, a lot of changes in them. Many times you'll see like one or two or three changes on the virus in its uh, structure. But for example, the one in UK has 23. Uh, The one in South Africa has over 20. Uh, All of them have a lot of different mutations which is really unusual. And scientists are beginning to say that, that the reason we probably have this wide number of changes in these variants is that very likely that virus was actually in a person And perhaps that person was immunosuppressed and and couldn't really fight off the disease as well. Perhaps they had gotten some um, monoclonal antibodies. Perhaps they had actually uh, had the illness maybe once before and got reinfected, but their immune system wasn't really good at fighting it off straight away. So the virus in that person kept changing Kind of like starting your car over and over and over again and changing and it would change again, it would change again, it would change again, it would change again again, until it got really good and then was able to actually exit that person and become successful as a variant and by that success means that it can transmit itself from one person to the next. Now, variants essentially have kind of three things that we look for. One is transmissibility. Is it uh, successful to be able to be transmitted and is it more infectious? That's what you see in the UK variant. The second thing we look for, is it more deadly? Meaning when you get that particular strain, is it more deadly? Uh, The UK variant is also thought to be that way now. Uh, Over the weekend, they released some studies about that. And the last one is, when you look at those three things is do our vaccines or the monoclonal antibodies work in this new version, this new variant. So those are the three things that scientists look for when they look at these variants. There's getting to be quite a few of them now, and so I, I'm gonna just talk about a few of them, and I and I know that we're gonna approach our, our time frame here in just a moment, but I'll talk about the UK one and then we'll stop. Uh, the UK variant was first discovered in September, uh, really became Scary for them in November. It takes about, they just discovered about four to six weeks before it really takes off. And by eight weeks, it becomes the primary variant. So, in that particular case, what happened is that it is now taken over and it is the primary virus that is successful in the UK. And it has pretty much reached all of Europe. It's in here in the United States, it's also in Canada. It is much more infectious, between 50 and 70% more infectious. And in recent studies over the weekend released, it also creates, uh, is more deadly. But it's also, frankly, more deadly, Alex, simply because if you have more cases, you have more hospitalizations, you have more deaths. So it's more deadly simply by a numbers game. And that's all it is at that point. But it is also more, um, more deadly in its own right as well. The good news about the UK variant is that it is still successful, meaning that the the uh, new vaccines, the Moderna and the Pfizer, are still effective, and uh, the monoclonal antibodies are effective. I can't say the same for the ones from South Africa or Brazil.
1: And I know we're going to touch on those in we are. the next segment.
2: Yes, so, we are. We- so... Now, the UK variant is in uh, uh, Canada. Is it the one that's driving your case count right now? But <laughs> I don't
1: know if it's driving the overall case count. Um, I, I don't believe it is because I'm still hearing uh, reports, uh, you know, the, the variant has been found here, it's been found there. So I, I think it's, it's still sporadic right now. Mm-hmm. But <clears throat> with the, uh, like my update with the uh, Barry long-term uh, the city of Barrie long-term health facility. It's uh, once it takes hold, it seems to be, as you right. described, you know, very it, successful. Uh, it's being, right. yeah. Yeah. Very successful. You know, I, I don't know another way of saying that, but
2: <laughs> well, it is <laughs> you know, right. It, you know, it's, yeah, it's all it's, about, can you live to spread to another person? That's what drives yeah, the virus.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, unfortunately, but it's still sporadic uh, here, uh, here and there. But if it keeps going the way it's going, then uh, I think you're right. It's going to be, uh, you know, the predominant one here right. eventually. You know, right. unfortunately, right. that's just right. the way it's going. Right. You know. on that, we've come to the end of our first segment. We are talking with Regina Phelps today. We're talking about all things COVID and we will be right back.
0: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
3: Today, many doctors prescribe basic pharmaceuticals to their patients who aren't feeling well or have various aches or pains. Is this the right course of action for all patients? Definitely not. Find out about healthy, natural ways to help you feel your best by tuning into the CBD Ed Show with host Edward Chaney. Ed will explain full-spectrum CBD, where the whole hemp plant can be used for treatment and answer all of your questions about CBD and natural treatment in general. Listen Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety. Moving forward can be difficult to do sometimes. There is always something going on. Many times, nobody else knows exactly what you're going through. If you are experiencing pain or loss, even something unexplained that is missing in your life, you'll want to tune
2: into Go For It with host Joe Hausman. Joe and her guests will
3: show you laughter and love. Sometimes you just need something a little positive in your week. Make that spot Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN.
0: You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to preparing for the unexpected.
1: Welcome back. We are talking with Regina Phelps about all things uh, COVID-related for our January 2021 update. Regina, you started talking about the uh, the uh, variants, and um, you gave us an update on the UK one. Now, how about um, you said South Africa, and uh, I think there's another one too. That uh, oh, actually,
2: there's 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 quite a few. I think it's going to be like a whack-a-mole kind of situation. Ooh. So the the so the UK variant was the first one, and let me just stop and say one thing, um, Alex, and that is that last year there was sort of one big mutation that occurred with the virus when it split and it went to uh, Europe. So there was the Asian strain and then the European strain. But then surprisingly, there wasn't much difference. Uh, There was very little change in the virus for those two groups all of last year. So we were kind of thinking on some level that wow we missed the bullet right of having something that's frequently changing like influenza, <clears throat> but no. Uh, so what we're now into really is is the uh, is the uh, the year of the variants is how I would look at it. Well,
1: what, so, what triggered you got you got me thinking now. What triggers these variants? Is it the the um, the the air like Northern Europe has different air than Southern Europe? Is it the food? You know, nope, it's, no, it's
2: not at all. It's what none of those happened? things. It's, it's basically what happens when it gets into a person. And it, what happens is if it gets mm-hmm. sort of stuck is, is the example I gave earlier is that it okay. gets sort of stuck and it keeps reinventing itself and then mm-hmm. it comes out. And so that's what happened okay. in the European strain and why in case you remember Italy had such a devastating mm-hmm. yep. effect and so many deaths. It was because of that successful mutation that had occurred. Um but the, so the, we talked about the UK. I want to talk about the one in South Africa, which is very similar to the one in Brazil. It has not as many mutations, about 20, but the mutations are um, more concerning because they really are in the spike protein. Now, if you remember the, the, what the virus looks like, right? It's a round ball with all these spikes all over it. And that's what allows it to come into your body, penetrate one of your cells, get in and begin to reproduce. So the the spike protein is where all of the uh, vaccines are aimed at. You know, when you, aim, when you make a drug, you have to aim it at where you're gonna kill the, the virus or the bacteria. It's aimed at the spike protein. Uh, and, so, and so are the monoclonal antibodies. So the big concern when they saw the changes in South Africa and the Brazilian one is that, oh my gosh, will the vaccines still be effective? So recent studies by both Pfizer and Moderna, those are the two vaccines that are now being used in many of the developed countries. Those at this point are still believed to be effective, but not as. So Moderna today announced that they were going to issue a booster that will probably happen in six plus months. It will require them to reformulate the vaccine, which is simply a chemical recipe, but then it has to probably be tested again in all of the different nations to make sure that there are no particular issues with them but that's already happening. Now there's a whole new set of variants that are coming out of the United States, my state, California. Uh, There are two. One of them was a a variant that was originally found from Denmark that ended up here in Northern California. And now there's also a second one which has been decimating uh, Southern California. Uh, that that particular variant has quite a few changes as well, it is thought to be very transmissible, and has certainly resulted in Southern California with a large number of deaths. So um, LA in particular has been ravaged just like New York was last year, Um, They have over 3000 bodies that are stacked up in freezers that they haven't been able to process. And in fact, they just recently, and this is just so horrifying, they had to actually change the air quality standards in LA County so they could do more cremations. They have so many bodies to process. It's just horrifying. So the, the thing about these variants are, is that And now they're starting to sprout out all over. As I've said to all of my clients is that you have to really rethink what your return to an office is going to be because remember this is aerosol transmission, Uh, indoor spaces are not gonna be good. I think everybody was sort of hoping and praying that by the summer, the vaccine would be able to get us to a new place. And kind of overarchingly, I have said to all my clients, I think you need to think about the fall and maybe even the early or late winter, so we're into the end of 2021 or the beginning of 2020. I don't think, at least in the United States, that people are going to be able to safely occupy an office anytime soon.
1: I'm I'm going to go back a step because I, I was was thinking with the Spanish flu back in um, you know 1918. <clears throat> Mm-hmm. Were there a lot of different variants that you're aware of that came out of that one as well? Like are that's we, a good question.
2: Are we good experiencing
1: question. the same thing that they did, but we may have not realized that part, like we didn't take it into account this time mm-hmm. around?
2: That's a great that's a great question. And the answer is that it's really impossible to know that because, of course, there was no genetic sequencing back there, and there really isn't good samples. Mm-hmm. But let me just say something about influenza because you raise a really important issue, Alex. And that's this, influenza is really, really different than the coronavirus. And one of the key things to remember about influenza is it likes really cold weather and it likes dry conditions. So think of being in the winter, you're inside, you have the heat on and it creates a drier environment. And so it spreads when people are close together and in a dry environment, but It's very seasonal. And what happened in 1918 and 1919 is that it would go into a community, it would blast through a community. And then in about eight weeks, it was gone. It did not come back again till there was another seasonal change. And so the difference between influenza and the coronavirus is that in the coronavirus, we are just hard on all the time anytime, uh, people are not behaving themselves, not masking, not distancing, etc., cetera. That's all the virus needs is a vehicle. And it doesn't matter whether it's hot and humid like Georgia or Florida in the summer, or it's freezing cold, it's happy in all environments. So it's really different from a transmission perspective than influenza, unfortunately. And I think when, cause we never had a coronavirus pandemic before, no one really knew what to expect. And so there was a lot of speculation that it would go away, you know, in the summer. Didn't change at all anywhere in the world. Yeah. So that's the unfortunate thing. So, yeah, we can't compare it to the 1918
1: flu at all. Uh, I, was, it was, was, I, w- I was just kind of wondering if, you know, with all these variants that are now getting identified if hey, that happened back then, too. You know, it, should we be surprised or not surprised? But, you know, you, you kind of answered that.
2: You know, the the thing about the variances is that uh, here in the United States, and I do not know about Canada, but in the United States, we have done an abysmal job in doing genetic sequencing. So, and we're one of the very few developed countries that did not have set up right, when the pandemic began, a genetic sequencing program. And the way that very commonly works is that you look at all the samples taken across the country, the government will predetermine, you know, we're going to do genetic sequencing on 1% of them or 2% of them. And they kind of dipstick all over the country. And then they pull up a sample, they do a genetic sequence on it, and they can actually see, is it any different? So here in the US, we have had no funding for genetic sequencing. And the only sequ- sequencing that has been done has been primarily either out of universities who were kind of interested about what was going on. And some states were doing some sequencing. So still here in the US, we are as blind as can be. Now the CDC just started a program of sampling across the US, 2000 samples a week, just dipsticking trying to figure out what's going on. But that's why we still don't really have a clue exactly how many variants we might have here in the U S maybe we have more than the two that have come out of California. That wouldn't surprise me, but we don't know that. And I, I would imagine in Canada, you're doing genetic sequencing, but I don't know to what extent you are.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm not really sure on that one. I haven't really uh, looked into uh, what's happening on that side. So I, I didn't even want to say yes, it's going on, but I don't want to say no either. So,
2: <laughs> well, right, right. Well, you know, I think the thing about for all of your listeners and those of you that are thinking about when do I go back to an office? How mm-hmm. does this impact us? Is the variants really are going to be a huge issue and it's going to be a huge issue um, for probably a good part of this year. They're going to continue to pop up Secondarily, if the vaccine rollout remains to be uh, slow, then uh, it has lots of places it can move around. The variants have also been successful at reinfecting people who have already had COVID.
1: But wasn't it that if you had it, you should be, if you had it before and recovered, you shouldn't catch it again. Well, if, if people are catching it again, they're catching the variant?
2: probably more than likely. But, but, but there's, a, there's a misnomer to what you just said. You, you will get some immunity after any infection, of course. But the question is, how long does that immunity last? Mm-hmm. And that's not known. There have been documented cases already of people getting the virus more than once. Now, did they get a variant the second time? Not sure. Perhaps in their particular case, they did not mount a very effective immune response with their illness. That's also really possible. But the variants are going to be a huge driver about return to work or how you're going to continue to look at when can I go back safely. But I think the thing that sort of ties with all of this is that it really put it bumps 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 up right against people's fatigue, pandemic fatigue,
3: mm-hmm.
2: pandemic anger, and here we are now we have another problem, and you know we've been doing this for a year and many people are done right, and what I what I I started doing a little bit of research about this when the variants first started to peak out and there's actually two syndromes that are very interesting that we're seeing in the U.S. that now it's being really identified with the pandemic, but they come from other sources. One of them is something called psychic numbing. And it's where we, our brain can only absorb so much calamity, so much horror, so much awful things. And the examples that are often used is that people are horrified about a death of a child, let's say, or a death of a person. But if all of a sudden now there's another death and another death and another, we just, we just tune it out. It's like a, some sort of a, a, a trying to take care of ourselves, And it's called psychic numbing. And that's what many psychiatrists and psychologists are saying is going on in America where we have, you know, 400,000 deaths and we don't even seem to blink an eye anymore. The other one is something that's called, I want to make sure I get this title of this correct. It's actually called Shifting Baseline Syndrome, Shifting Baseline Syndrome, SBS, Shifting Baseline Syndrome. And it's actually a syndrome that was originally discovered and discussed about the environment where people get very used to all of a sudden where maybe your environment or your beaches aren't as nice or that your forests are more degraded or that you have certain other things going on in the environment and people get used to it, right? It's your new baseline. So the baseline is constantly going up as the environment degrades. It's very much the same thing that we're experiencing here in the pandemic is that we have grown used to our current situation. And then when it gets bad, we get used to that. And then we get used to the next level. And so between the numbing, if you will, and this constant readjustment of what we think is okay, um, at least here in the US where our tolerance has gotten to be astronomical, uh, which is really unfortunate. And as, the, and as these new variants go on, that will even be a bigger issue um, that I'm really concerned about, Alex, because people are just gonna say, look, you know, I've done this for a year, I, I'm done. But the virus is not done with us, and it is extremely creative about how it continues to reinvent itself, Uh, and we're seeing that in many places across the world right now.
1: Uh, It's interesting you brought that up because I was uh, linking it back to what I said about the uh, students here at the University of Guelph down the road from where I live. You know, after all this time, you know, they should know better, you know. And yet, you know, when you're young, you feel like, you you know, nothing can hurt you, you know, but for some reason with, you know, even though you're seeing all these headlines with all these deaths and long-term homes having, uh, you know, 50% of their uh, uh, patients, you know, dying and, you know, US 420,000 or whatever the number is now, you know, all happening around you. Why would you turn around all of a sudden and just take that chance? Right. You know, right. let's just have a group of 50, 50 people and you end up with 32 cases all of a sudden. Right. You know, what's driving that? Right. You know, I, I don't understand why why people would want to take that chance. Right. You know? Well, I
2: think there's also that <clears throat> that issue that it it won't happen to me, right? You don't think you're going to be in a car accident. You don't think you're going to get sick. You don't think. And so I think the other thing, too, is I think if you look <clears> at your own behavior, let's say that you're really, really good and you don't violate any rules and then maybe one day you decide okay I'm gonna I'm gonna do something it's a tiny risky right maybe I'm gonna spend an afternoon with some friends uh hey everything's okay nothing happened so then the next week you think well you know nothing happened back then so maybe I'm gonna do a little bit more and then a little bit more until all of a sudden you're having a dinner party at your house right you didn't get there overnight you got there in little tiny increments um, of trying.
1: What's that impression Pushing the envelope.
2: Yeah, totally pushing pushing as far as you
1: can, uh, you know, until uh, you know something ends up happening. Mm -hmm.
2: Mm -hmm. You know,
1: and and I think uh, a lot of people are are starting to do that. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, because all the cases, especially when you you're looking at headlines, you're always hearing about you know such and such region region has this case count. You're not actually hearing, uh, you know, your own little community, your own or neighborhood. Right. You right. know, it's like and somebody oh, oh, else. Yeah, those those 50 cases. Oh, that's somewhere else. You know, and I'll use mm-hmm. my city, somewhere else in Guelph, which means I'm okay to wander around in my area. Right. I'm not. Right. Because right. I could be number 51. Exactly right. Yeah, you know? exactly right. Oh, it's crazy. <laughs> We've come to the end of our second segment. We are talking uh, about COVID and variants and vaccines. We're going to be touching on some more of that. Uh, we're talking with Regina Phelps, and we'll be right back.
0: on the Voice America Variety Channel.
2: If you are working on your path to enlightenment, may we suggest another guide point to help you get there? It's Soul Healing Conversations with your host, Roz Kincaid. Roz and her guests are making this show a safe place to find balance, healing, and transformation. You'll learn how to manifest the best version of your life. Make sure you join Roz every week for Soul Healing Conversations. Live every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and
3: 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel.
0: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone road.com. Again, that's info at stone road.com. Now back to preparing for the unexpected.
1: Welcome back. We are talking with Regina Phelps about all things COVID. Regina, let's talk a little bit more about the vaccines and uh, uh, the rollout. Mm -hmm. So here in
2: the U.S., of course, we've had a variety of issues. Uh, And again, the the U.S. government uh, under the Trump administration really did no planning for anything beyond the creation of the vaccines, which was obviously a huge thing, but there was no funding or or activities of planning really about how to roll it out. And we're different than Canada because we don't have a public health or a a national health system. And so every state, you know, everybody has different insurance, it's complicated. And here in the United States, we view public health differently than a healthcare system. And so nothing is coordinated, nothing is universal. And so it's a huge logistical problem. Um, And so, I think Biden's going to get his arms around this, but what that's meant is that we've had a much slower vaccine rollout here in the U S we also um, uh, had a very uh, structured way of rolling it out, which actually from a scientific perspective, made perfect sense, right? You're, doing older people, first of all, in nursing homes and people that work there, and then all the healthcare workers. And then next after that would be people over 75 and some essential workers. And then after that, it was people over 65 and other types of workers. But it's complicated. And it's one thing to come up with a good scientific rationale. It's another thing to try and administer it. So I think what Biden's going to do is he's going to really consolidate some of those categories and make it a much easier and cleaner, you know? Cause I, can you imagine, how can you go prove you're an essential worker if you go to a, a, a clinic to get a vaccine? Because, you know, what do you need to bring? A pay stub or something? I mean, so it's yeah, crazy, yeah. right? It's crazy. So uh, the first thing they're gonna do is they're gonna really um, uh, collapse many of those categories together. The second thing that they're also going to do is that they're going to open up mass uh, vaccination centers in many different venues, like Disneyland, right now is going to be a mass vaccination center. They're training many more people to administer uh, these injections, and then, and then, fourthly, they are just doing a huge push and education campaign. Uh, but again, they're playing catch up because uh, they didn't start until January twentieth, and that was only just a few days ago. So it's really the push to get the vaccine out for many different reasons. We're not going to have any possibility of a normal life, whatever that means anymore, uh, until we get a large number of people vaccinated. And let me just say, Alex, that the number of people that have to be vaccinated is also likely going to be higher than was originally forecast. Most people believed it would be around 70% that would need to get the vaccine. Because of the high, high transmissibility of some of these variants, there's a lot of belief that that vaccine number is gonna to need to be somewhere between 80 and 90% in order to really fully stop it. Now, if you get started getting um, more and more people vaccinated, you're gonna have less community spread of course, but still you're gonna have community spread. And the other thing about the vaccine that's important to understand is that we do not believe at this point that these vaccines provide something that's called sterilizing immunity. Sterilizing immunity means not only do you not get sick, but you also don't get the virus incubating inside of you and you are asymptomatic and therefore able to transmit it to somebody else. There's only a handful of a very small number of vaccines that provide sterilizing immunity. And so that means you could get vaccinated, Alex, get your two doses of Moderna or Pfizer, let's say, and you still need to wear a mask Hmm. until we really understand what's going on and the number of cases in your area go down. So you get a vaccine, you think, wow, I am good to go. Well, you know, you're not. And so from a perspective, again, of reopening offices, many of my clients thought, you know, we're gonna get everybody vaccinated, life is gonna be good, we're just gonna open up and it's gonna be great. No, you're still gonna be doing physical distancing, you're still gonna be doing masks until we know really what happens with these vaccines when they get into people and what happens with transmission. And that's going to be time. And so yeah. even if we get a large number of people vaccinated by uh, the end of the summer, we're still not going to be maskless for probably a period of time.
1: Well, every time I take the dog for a walk, every time I step out my front door, I've got a mask on, you know, and I do, see, I do see people walking in groups. And I hate to say this, but, uh, you know, I, I've seen a, a, the same group of ladies wander around all over the place, you know, without a mask. Mm -hmm. And I've seen the same ladies with different people, you Mm -hmm. know, and, you know, in this neighborhood and it just boggles me. I'm going, there's no way you're all one bubble, Mm -hmm. you know, there's no way you've all got houses to go home to you, uh, you know, with either a husband, your partner, kids, whatever the case may be, Mm -hmm. you know, there's no way, you know, there's more, I've seen more, more, more than 10 people if I 10 different people. So, uh, you know, (laughs) and you're too many.
2: many That's you know, that's way too big a bubble.
1: Yeah, <laughs> way too big. you know, and what? it's interesting you mentioned uh, earlier about uh, you know the challenges with distribution. You mm-hmm. know, that there was no no plan. You know, from uh, the previous administration in in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Here, I think it still happens. There are regular calls between the prime minister and the premiers of the Mm -hmm. 10 provinces in the three territories here. Mm -hmm. Um, I believe they meet monthly to to have a call to see what's going on, what are your challenges. And there are continuous every day, especially in my province, updates from the premier himself, not just Mm -hmm. a doctor. Oh, that's great. You know, that, uh, you know, you don't always agree with everything he says, let's face it, you know, but those have continued every day. And I believe that happens in every province. You know, um, so that they they're all staying in touch with each other on some level doesn't mean they always agree about everything but you know they they're staying in touch and i don't see that you know i, I can't see michigan on the phone with texas you know or uh, on the phone with california right. you know right. what's going on you know how are you dealing with you know uh, i don't I, i've yeah. not heard of anything like that happening down there
2: no the only thing that there was there have been uh at the beginning there were coalitions of states that touched each other like New York New Jersey for example or in California it was you know California Nevada Oregon Washington uh, but I don't even think those exist anymore I think everybody's sort of one one man one woman for themselves mm. and that's not particularly helpful either I think that the message I think for all of your listeners many of course in continuity planning and thinking about what this means for them going forward is that, Many of my clients were thinking about that they would be going back to the office uh, by the summer. And I think that based on the variance and the unknown, that that's not going to be feasible. Most of my clients have extended their view now to the fall or for, for that matter, even the early or late winter. So we're talking end of 2021 or the beginning of 2022. Oh my gosh. So I think the other thing I would say to you is that from a perspective of reevaluation and reinvention, companies are now really more digging in to thinking about what does this mean for us? You know, if you've been working at home, Alex, for 10 months, a year, and maybe you're gonna be working at home for a year and a half or two before we actually have this under control, then you'd have to say to yourself, well, what is going back to the office mean? And this is the question that I've really been asking my clients to tell me, why are you going back to the office?
1: And do people even want to go back now?
2: Right, right. And I think there's a, there's a, a chasm that's beginning to develop. And I have some, exec- I talked to an executive on Friday last week who was saying to me, but Regina, I don't know if, you know, are they really working the whole time they're home? And I said, look, okay, this is the deal. You know, office workers, people who are white-collar workers, you know, we often don't have a true list of deliverables. Like, you know, people that are in a manufacturing facility, your your boss knows how many cars you touched, how many widgets you made, or whatever. But in a in a in a white-collar office environment, they don't know that. And I said, I think what I would ask you to be thinking about, and this can even go back to thinking of continuity plans, et cetera, is that. What's the deliverable? What does that person do in their job? Because in reality, that's what you need to understand. If they're able to do their job at home and it works, uh, then the question is, why are you going back? So that's the question to ask. Why are you going back? Mm -hmm. And you might say, okay, great. You know, it's really important because we need to do collaboration. We need to do, you know, whatever we need to get together and do group meetings and, For certain things, it's much better for their physically. Great. Do you need to do that five days a week? So I think what I'm saying is that- And how were you doing
1: it the last 10 months?
2: Right. And so I I think it would be crazy for people to go through this entire experience and then just go back and do it as they've always done it, because that's what they've always done. If you've gone through something for a year plus, I mean, Alex, wouldn't you change your behavior? You know, stop mm-hmm. and think about it, right? Yeah. So I think, and I actually, before we, I, I joined your call today, I was just uh, having a really deep conversation with one of my clients about this very issue and, uh, and their coronavirus task force, if you will, who's been monitoring the pandemic at their company. I said, look, I advocate and you have you think about, you know, what does it mean to go back? And this is a role I think that continuity planners can also really be helpful at because we know what's going on. We've documented these plans. We're very clear about this. How can we kind of raise the bigger question, You know, do we have to go back full time? And I would say to you that the vast, vast, vast majority of offices could say, you know, I think we could do a hybrid thing. Maybe we're gonna go back a day or two a week. Maybe we're going to create a whole nother way of working. Maybe we're going to shrink down our office footprint. Maybe we're, you know, this is the time right now because things are so uncertain and they're going to be uncertain, Alex, for months. It's a time for us to be thinking about a bigger picture here. The bigger questions is what Mm -hmm. I'm really asking my clients to think about.
1: Well, it's interesting you mentioned, uh, you know, the, this executive saying, you know, how do we know are, if they're really working at home? Well, how do you know they're really working in the office?
0: Right, I mean, they're just sitting micr- there. Are you
1: right? micromanaging? You know, is your head literally on the cubicle wall watching everything they do? Mm-hmm. You know, following them around? No. You know, I, right. I find myself more, it took a little bit of an adjustment, but once I got used to it, I found myself more productive at home because right. I had less, less interruptions. Yeah, actually- some of the chats and everything, but, you know, that's what Zoom is for, or, right. you know, some of the other applications that are out there, you know, right. or, or a novel thing that they used to have, which most people don't seem to have anymore, telephones, yeah. you, know, <laughs> you know, where you can talk right. What's a telephone? Exactly. You know, <laughs> you can talk to people. So it, it, it's interesting that, um, you know, they would you know, think that way, you know, well, how are you doing it now? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. what, what a, what a question to ask.
2: Yeah, I think I, uh, to me, it's really an opportunity and a time for reinvention. And that's what I really think that we all need to look at. The other thing I would say to you is that when you're really clear on deliverables, then, you know, does it matter, Alex, when you work, if you get your job done, unless there's a requirement for you to be doing during the hours of nine to five, because think of everybody that still might be homeschooling, you know, if you can do your work between 12 and four o'clock in the morning and you get everything done, what difference does it make? And so you get paid for eight hours and you got everything done at four, good on you, right? I mean, that's part of the issue is I think we are asking bigger questions now. We need to be thinking about, about this beyond this moment of, oh my gosh, we have to get back to the office. Cause I think that's not true. The other thing I would say about for our continuity planners is this gives us a great opportunity to go back in and really make sure that, the, that we have clear processes. Um, you know, our SOPs are clearly let out in our continuity plans that we've really, I mean, there's a lot of great work that's been done here and we need to make sure that it's documented and not lost in how we can recover businesses. Because you could have a situation in Canada, as I could here in the United States, where you have some big widespread power outage. We're all working from home. Then What? Right. So we still have lots of things we should be thinking about right now from a perspective of how we can continue business, even though we're doing a great job, for the most part, in our home
1: environments. Now, there's a scary thought. I know we've only got two minutes left. You mentioned (laughs) big power outage. Can you imagine right now with everybody working at home and experiencing Mm -hmm. that power outage back in 2003? The, well, you know, yeah.
2: I exactly. Yes. That? And what I would what I would say to you is uh, we have done a variety of extra, I've, I've been, I've done, normally I do about a hundred exercises a year. This year I've only done about 50 because of the pandemic, but I've been trying to focus on topics like that. Everybody's working from home. We have a power outage. We have an earthquake. We have whatever it is. And it's a regional event. People can't just get in a car and go someplace easily That's a really good exercise topic for many of your listeners to be thinking about because that's a possibility. You know, what happens when you have the first event and now you have a second disaster and how do you recover that when people are working
1: from home? And on that, we've come to the end of our January update with Regina Phelps. (laughs) Uh, Hopefully I'll be happier
2: or cheerier in February, but don't count on it. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say I'm. I'm not gonna put any money down on that one. Just not. Not with the way things seem to be going, and who knows? Right. There may be more students in my area being silly. So, who knows? But thanks again for your sharing your time and uh, all the updates on uh, COVID and other things. All the questions, especially with that going back to the office uh, piece. I think uh, a lot of people are going to be rethinking their plans over the next little while. Mm-hmm. You know, so thank you once again, Regina, and I know we'll As be always, talking in uh, four weeks again for our uh, next update. Yeah. And to everybody listening and everybody watching, stay prepared, everyone.
0: Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you here next week.